More in the Morning presents... Hello, Mayor John Tory here. Mayor in the Morning. Oh, it's got packaging. All right. Uh, A friend I used to work with in the industry always said, all you need is a good name. Who cares what the segment really does? But uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation every week at this time with Toronto Mayor John Tory. Good to have you, sir. How are you? Good morning, John. I'm fine. How are you? I'm okay. Uh, Let's start with something you and I spoke about during our year-end conversation, and that was bail reform. And it would certainly seem that the call is getting louder for bail reform in Canada now that 13 territorial and premier uh, premiers of provinces have sent a letter to Justin Trudeau. So um, what do you see happening here? Well, I'm just delighted at the progress. I have literally been talking about this since 2005, when I was actually the opposition leader at Queen's Park, and the same problem existed then. And this is not a wholesale kind of attack on the fact that people should get out on bail, but rather it's looking at a very particular group of people who get out on bail over and over and over again, especially on firearms offenses, and then end up, you know, involved in some additional criminal activity. And so uh, I think that the fact that that everybody's now willing to look at it, I think is a huge step forward. And the prime minister said in response to the letter that came from the premiers that he was going to have a look at it as well. And that's kind of what these things are all about is to get the federal government, which ultimately has uh, responsibility for the criminal law, to take a look at this, and that's what they say they're doing. Matt Elliott writing in The Star, as I'm sure you saw, the the headline is, Forget Ford and Trudeau, City Hall has only itself to blame for why Toronto's roads are bad and getting worse. Are you getting a a bad rap here, or are our roads genuinely in bad repair and uh, the city's lagging? Well, you know, we can't have it all ways. I mean, on the one hand, we get a lot of, uh, you know, concern expressed by the public about the fact we're rebuilding so many roads and that causes some of the, uh, you know, traffic issues that we've been discussing in recent days and for a long time. Uh, But at the same time, uh, it is true that we've had to postpone some of this kind of road construction because uh, the kind of support that we need to have, especially in the wake of COVID from the Uh, federal government in particular, because the province has stepped forward, has not been forthcoming. And that's uh, caused us to have to postpone some capital. And that's the kind of capital you would postpone is a road repaving for a year uh, in order to help keep your finances in order. But the bottom line is that um, we're very cognizant of the fact that we need to keep these roads up. We're spending billions on capital in the city. uh, But we also have these financial problems, which are occasioned by COVID and need the response and the support of the other governments. And so I don't apologize for that because in the end, um, I I just have to stand up for the city and make sure that we're going to get our fair share. And as you've heard me say before, um, you you cannot run a big, complicated city like this on the basis of a financial arrangement put in place in 1867 when the Fathers of Confederation had a meeting. You know, we just got to update this and find ways to make sure that that kind of operating and capital expense um, that, that we have the resources necessary to do everything we have to do. And it, it's it, the burden is getting bigger, depending what day you ask, uh, of, of everything, transit, housing, road upkeep, uh, you know, you name it. Um, I found myself thinking the other day, John Toria, that we've had such a mild winter and so few major snow clearing operations. Does the city end up saving money or is it sort of a net net? It's all the same whether or not the plows hit the street. Well, it's kind of what you said, net, net, maybe in a different way than you meant it. Um, when we don't spend the money because we don't have as much snow, they put the money into a reserve because we all know that, you know, and we certainly learned this lesson last year, that when there's a year where you don't have a lot of snow, it's followed soon thereafter, you know, one or two years later by a year in which you have an extraordinary amount of snow. So we have a budget. I think it's upwards of $100 million. I mean, it's literally a very large amount of money. 
Um, and if we don't spend it, it goes into a reserve on the theory that some other year coming down the road, there's going to be a lot more snow than we normally would have. You know, the storm last year, I forget the number now, but it cost us millions and millions of dollars to do all that snow removal uh, to those great big snow mountains that we had to build to get the snow off the street. So that was a year when we spent more. And this year might be, although it's only January, a year when we spend less. But it, it goes up and down and we use a reserve to kind of smooth it out. There's a couple of very specific um, construction or would-be construction projects I wanted to ask you about to get an update. One of them would be the old, uh, I think it was the Dominion Wheel and Foundry site. And I saw a picture the other day of Kristen Wong Tam posing in front of it. I think most people listening will remember um, there was a move to demolish and it became a huge uproar and then they hesitated on it. But uh, what is the update on what's happening to that property? Well, I'm proud of the fact that the city stepped forward and said to the province, you're not just going to tear that down. Uh, and there were then discussions that ensued from that. And the cluster, two clusters of buildings were preserved of, of a site that did have uh, some heritage, um, um, you know, des- uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, heritage importance to it. Um, so now what's happening is that the developer that owns that site is going through the approval process and, and, and finalizing its plans, but they're finalizing the plans Um, with a very clear understanding in place, in fact, an agreement, they will not tear down uh, all of those buildings. And so I think what's going on now with this marketplace where things are complicated by inflation and by construction cost inflation and so on, um, is that, you know, timing of developments has been affected. But in this case, um, that's what's going on. It's, It's the developer finalizing its plans and getting its plans all approved. And they then make the decision themselves on when to build that. And that's based on and something that hasn't happened yet, which is a pre-sale of units that take place. But the buildings are going to be preserved, at least two clusters of those buildings, and that's a big step forward uh, from the day that you made reference to a couple of years ago when the city stepped in, and, and, and Councillor Wong Tan did as well, and it, that, that's what she then was. She's an MPP today, to say, no, you're not going to tear this down. The neighbourhoods all rose up as well, and I was very proud of that moment because we managed to push back and, and get a better result. Another proposed development, and you know this all too well, is on my street corner, and I've been accused of nimbyism, but I don't object to all development and demolition, but I do have some issues about the medical building on the corner of Balmoral and Young because it's a purpose-built building. It's probably only about 40 years old, and they're planning on demolishing it, and I guess all those doctors are going to have to go somewhere else. Uh, is this something you would intervene on, or should the the developers just you know march on well john it's why we have a development approval process in place and so first of all i'll say that you know especially nowadays we know how important access to doctors is in that neighborhood not including you yet but that neighborhood is residents to a lot of seniors who who need to have easier access to the doctor so we have a development approval process in place and that is why people read about uh, discussion we will have about is there adequate child care and perhaps that should be included in a development not this particular one recreational facilities the very size of the building itself you mentioned 41 stories that's what we have public meetings about and we had a public meeting for this development in november and now uh, what happens is following those public meetings and concerns like this we meet with the developer as part of the approval process these issues are raised and i will just say in this case that i hope that in the process that's now ongoing where we meet with the developer that the concerns about the size of the building and a concern like this about finding a way uh, to see if we can make those medical uh, offices still available to people within the context of uh, these redevelopment plans are the kinds of things that get discussed. And so people shouldn't conclude as yet uh, that all is lost. They should conclude that this is in the 
earlier stages of the development approval process and that's where a lot of change takes place uh, and where a lot of i'll call it negotiation happens as between the city representing the public interest and the developer who have uh, of course their own plans a lot of our discussion this morning is about how we live and work one last question for you i'm reading about an initiative in some cities where vacant commercial and business properties are being transferred over to housing and in some cases affordable housing is that something that may happen here we have to be careful. I mean, the answer is I wouldn't say absolutely, positively not. We have a policy that says no to that generally because what happens is, of course, with the economic cycle, you know, going up and down, I mean, you know, you have good days and then you have more difficult days. If you allow all the office space to be sort of gobbled up and converted to residential and then you have an economic boom, which I'm very optimistic we're going to have again in the city, you know, where then do you have, uh, you know, people work? Because, uh, you know, you can't build an office building overnight. And so uh, the thing I hear discussed as often, and, and, and I'm not saying that the residential conversion discussion doesn't happen, um, is converting some of that you know, sort of plain, ordinary office space into uh, life science laboratories. We have a desperate shortage in the city of, of laboratories, uh, which are really essential to the expansion of the life sciences industry, where we have a lot of expertise. And so there is a discussion going on right now about actually um you know facilitating the conversion of some of that office space that was for you know banks and the companies uh, to laboratory space but it, it there is discussion as well that that is happening and i'm getting advice on this on how to make sure the downtown is revitalized and stays vital and that uh, includes whether or not you would see any limited conversion or any conversion at all to residential. It's a difficult conversion, as you might imagine. Mm -hmm. Think about the fact that you've got an office building that has doesn't have bathrooms you know, all over the place. To, it, it, so you'd have to put plumbing in to accommodate a bathroom in every apartment. So it's not a simple conversion, and every building is not conducive to it. So I'm just saying all these discussions are happening because of the vacancy in office space and the need for housing. The two things come together, and uh, you know, we'll see where all that goes. Thank you, sir. Good to have you. Thanks, Sean. Bye-bye.